we turn this morning to Matthew chapter 11, we will consider verses 1 to 6. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their city. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Father, this morning, your children will have occasion to confront their own doubts. No one of your children is sinfully perfect. No one lives without, at times, serious wonderments and doubts. And by thy great design, one of thy greatest, in fact, the greatest man, according to our Lord Jesus, who is ever born of the flesh, John the Baptizer, had in this moment of time as recorded some wonderments, perplexities, doubts. And we get to see exactly how those doubts were expressed, and we get to see exactly how those doubts were met, and we get to see the warning that was given to John the baptizer that certainly does apply this morning to this preacher and indeed applies to every one of your blood-bought children in audience today. And so God, we pray that you would help us to confront the natural tendency to doubt things we must believe and to believe some things that we really ought to doubt if not utterly dismiss. Help us then as your children to learn from the good example of John the baptizer this morning and for that we will praise you in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. 
Old Testament Jacob was absolutely, without doubt, in the very first reference to doubt in the scripture. Jacob had seen the bloody evidence presented to him and concluded that his beloved son Joseph had been torn to pieces. We know, of course, that Jacob was wrong about that, wrong about Joseph. And we can attribute his error in thinking, in major part, to believing his other sons to be reliable. Jacob was thrown off by his own family. Jacob was thrown off by sons that he loved. Jacob's faith in his sons proved to be unreliable. He did not doubt them. We might argue he would have been wiser to doubt them a little bit. Doubt can be sinful. Doubt can be wicked. But often, doubt, as it operates in your mind, my mind, your life, my life, is a righteous thing and a wise thing. We could say that Old Testament Jacob should have been more doubtful of his family. Commentators rightly hold John the Baptizer in such high regard. After all, you cannot escape that which we're coming to in a future week, if the Lord should tarry, where that Jesus said that John the Baptist was the single greatest man ever born of a woman. That's a powerful statement coming from Christ. John the Baptizer is held thereby in such high regard uh, by the commentators that they often quibble over whether such a high and holy man of God could indeed experience doubt. Some in the commentaries prefer to call it perplexity. Sounds a little better than doubt. I'm perplexed. Or I'm confused. Whatever we call it, one of the significant benefits of our study in this text is the evidence that even the greatest of godly men are subject to doubt at times. They doubt things that they should believe, and sometimes they believe things that they ought rightly to doubt and to utterly dismiss. The takeaway would be, never doubt God, but you are wise to often doubt people. God is always reliable. People often are not reliable, even the people you love. I'm just saying that there is such a thing as sinful doubt, and there is such a thing as sensible doubt, and you want the latter, not the former. Our text will help us with these things as we get into it momentarily. Uh, JB, as I like to call him, John the Baptizer, 
uh, does set for us here a right-minded precedent in that he takes his prison-driven perplexity to Christ. He renders question to uh, the Lord. He initiates towards the Lord Jesus, and that is certainly a good example and pattern for us all. More on that shortly. But first, let's begin to simply follow Matthew's uh, continuing record after Jesus had instructed uh, the 12 disciples in kingdom service, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, uh, now, uh, Jesus is going to uh, uh, move away uh, from that moment as is recorded in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. The first thing that we note this morning is that after the Lord Jesus had entered instructing the 12, he departed. And we do not want to gloss over Jesus' departure here. The final principle communicated by the Lord in the instructions of Matthew 10 in record, as you recall, was focused upon the reception of him and his servants. Reception of Christ and his servants guarantees for those servants eternal reward, regardless of the people's response. It is not then surprising that we will find in this 11th chapter, in the whole, four cases of reception or lack thereof. In the broader uh, view of the 11th chapter of Matthew, there are four cases or incidents of reception of Christ or lack thereof brought uh, to bear. Uh, but it is the threefold record of Christ in this first verse that intrigues us both as an incident, meaning that it happened at a given point in time, and as a pattern for our own present age. Jesus instructed his servants, number one, he instructed them. Two, Jesus left them so that they could get to work as he had bid them to do. Three, Jesus continued to work, doing as he had done, but now in blessed connection with his appointed servants. Three things there, instruction, departure, and continuation of work. Instruction, departure, continuation of work. It strikes me that that is the exact same threefold lay of the ministerial land set up at the beginning of the book of Acts. After the crucifixion, the resurrected Christ instructed his apostles for 40 days, speaking to them of the kingdom of God, Acts 1-3. Then Jesus departed from them, ascending into heaven, that they might get to work as assigned. Acts 1, 8, and 11. Then our ascended Lord, in concert with the Father, sent the Holy Spirit that by him, he, Jesus, might continue to do his work in blessed connection to his servants. The pattern established on Ascension Mount is this pattern, 
as seen in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. Jesus instructs, Jesus departs, Jesus continues to work, now with his servants as they have been bidden to do. The modern followers of Christ today heed the instructions for gospel communication given to the apostles, rejoice in the Lord's ascension and activity before the throne of God the Father on their behalf, and get to work sharing the good news with others depending upon the continuing of the Lord's own work by the Holy Spirit. We have been instructed, Jesus has departed, and he continues to work, and you and I have occasion to be laborers together with God. The opportunity of the apostles, Matthew 11, 1, is the opportunity of the apostles, Acts chapter 1, is our opportunity today. You don't want to miss that. It's a sermon in itself. I did it briefly. Secondly, Let's now move on in Matthew's record to John's discordance, quandary, perplexity, or doubt, whatever you prefer to call it. Verses 2 and 3. Now, when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Whatever we call it, let's not miss this moment in the life of the Lord's servant. Ironically, the Lord Jesus just continues, goes right on preaching and teaching ministry, even while his official heaven-sent forerunner wastes away in Herod's prison at Macarius. J.B. went to prison for condemning the unholy marriage of Herod Antipas to his brother's wife. So J.B. is in a rough place as a rugged man for speaking truthfully. And he hears in that prison of the continuing work of Christ, doing as he, John, had been doing, but no longer is and no longer can because John is in prison. And so in the lay of that circumstance, John begins to wonder. He begins to think, and not all his thoughts are happy, happy, happy. Matthew does give us a subtle clue as to what J.B. is wondering about. Matthew in 11.2, Matthew in 11 verse 2, for the only time in the narrative section of his gospel account uses the official title for Jesus, namely, the Christ. 
John brings to bear an emphasis that would cause the Bible student to say, hey, this is important. Only time in the narrative section of the book of Matthew do you find the official title of Jesus, the Christ, right here, 11 and verse 2. We can appreciate and attribute John's wonderings to the Old Testament prophetic depiction of Messiah in their two rather polar ways. And it's interesting because a number of good and godly Bible men have noted a difference between the emphasis of Messiah in the major prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and, and the minor prophets, Nahum, Micah, those guys. A difference. And uh, generally speaking, Messiah is portrayed in the major prophets as a suffering servant and king. But in the minor prophets, Messiah is most often portrayed as the one of judgment and punishment upon the wicked. So you have a threefold element of categorical prophecy concerning Messiah coming out of the Old Testament. He is the suffering servant. He is the king. Uh, he, is the, he is the judge. He is the judicator uh, of punishment upon the wicked. Uh, the activity of Jesus, the works of Jesus, as Matthew said it in verse 2, as John hears of it at that time, squares with his own understanding and declaration of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and brings the kingdom of God to Israel. Question, did John know that Israel would reject the kingdom offer? It's a good question. I'll leave it for you to answer that question. But as John hears about the activity of Jesus continuing to do what he did before <laughs> he's in prison, John sees in Jesus what he would have expected from the major prophets and that which was confirmed to him by the Spirit's own descent in the form of a dove at the Lord's baptism by no means do we think that John, on this occasion, has changed his mind concerning the fact that he, John, must decrease and that Jesus must increase? But there is something that John did not see happening, and it becomes the thing. It becomes the thing that makes John's wonderments turn south, or negative, if you will. John does not see happening that which the testimony of all the minor prophets emphasized would happen, and that which John himself had often preached that judgment and punishment of the wicked had indeed come. 
John was made to wonder by his own circumstances if he had missed something. For he had boldly preached, as we studied together back in Matthew chapter 3, the acts of God's judgment was being laid to the tree. That was one of the things that John preached and preached and preached and preached. Yes, the summary is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But one of the things that John preached and preached and preached was the acts of God's judgment is now at the root of the tree that God is going to judge his sinful people because they had not brought the fruit of God's own pleasure. So with questions and wonderments about how this is all going to work out in the plan of God for days ahead, John sends two of his followers to inquire of the Lord Jesus. What a good thing to do. When you don't know, open your Bible. When you don't know, talk to God about it. And here John sends to inquire of the Lord Jesus. The question in verse 3 is certainly good enough as it sits in the King's English. I would give you just a little bit of an expanded sense of it uh, from the uh, aspect of the original language. Uh, literally rendered verse 3 would be this. Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another Christ of a different kind? The word another is the word heteros, meaning another of a different kind. It appears to me that the question John gave to Jesus through his disciples was, quote, are you all it or just a great part of it? Are you all it? Or are you just part of it? We might say it otherwise for John. Where, Lord Jesus, is the judgment and the punishment upon the wicked? Where, Lord Jesus, is the judgment and the punishment upon the wicked? Oh, God, when are you going to say enough? In this old sinful world, when, Lord, are you going to allow the judgment of God and the punishment of the wicked to be enacted? John could say, I've been preaching that, and I didn't make it up. John could say, I've been preaching that because that's what you gave me to preach. So John, bless his pea-picking heart, thought, John thought, that surely enough time had passed for something of God's judgment work as clearly promised to be made evident to his longing eyes. J.B. did not lack faith. He lacked patience. He was perplexed by the plan of God 
yet to be revealed. We can easily and directly answer John's question today. Any of us could easily answer John's question today with an open Bible. And yet we too are in a place whereby we must continue to exercise patience, endurance in the faith. Because as we well know, God is long-suffering. And right now, 2,000 years long-suffering. John is looking for righteous justice from God as clearly promised. And he does not see that. What he sees is Christ continuing to preach and teach, Christ continuing to offer the kingdom, Christ continuing uh, to uh, uh, preach the kingdom message of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John looked for divine justice as clearly promised. But, as you and I know, it was the plan of God to judge and punish the wicked first and foremost on a particular hell. And then it was the plan of God to delay further judgment and punishment until the second advent, the second coming of Christ. J.B. did not know any of that. And this was not God's day to tell him. When did the judgment and punishment of God upon the wicked start in earnest? Answer. At the cross. The right way to look upon the crucifixion is as the instrument of God's judgment upon the sinless for the sake of the sinner, the judgment of God fell on the cross. That's it. All the prophets foresaw judgment coming. They did not clearly see exactly that. I have been purposely saying for a number of weeks now that the glory of God's salvation is best seen in the judgment poured upon sinless Jesus at the cross. God's judgment upon sinful humanity was focused and poured out at the cross, and thereafter, the culmination of God's promised judgment upon the wicked has been purposefully delayed for a divine, determined, 
period of time that the Bible calls the day of salvation. And in fact, you and I can clearly agree that today is another day of salvation. But there's a day coming, the day of Christ, when the days of salvation are over. Further justice for God, as promised, happened at the cross, creating the opportunity of salvation and God's further and cumulative judgment upon the wicked has been purposely delayed so as to extend these days of salvation. The axe has been laid to the tree and Christ was on that tree. John had said and said and said and said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. And now John's in prison. And he says, God, I don't see any of that happening. I don't see any of that happening. I don't see any of that happening. And it just makes me wonder what I got right and what I got wrong. Well, let me just tell you this. You got plenty right and you got plenty wrong. Let me say something to you. You got plenty right and you got plenty wrong. Let me say something to myself. You got plenty right and you got plenty wrong. You do not know it all. Thank you. That's a good amen right there. The axe was indeed laid to the tree, and it was Christ who was on that tree. What happened at Calvary? The wicked were judged. The sinful were judged. I was judged. You were judged in our sinfulness before God. Now the question that we can ask concerning the text is, did Jesus answer John in that way? Saying, oh, John, I, I got to tell you that uh, the next thing is this, and the next thing is this, and the next thing is this, and the next thing is this. Is that what Jesus did? No. Of course not. Listen to me very carefully. It wasn't John's to know that the axe laid to the root of the tree was first and foremost a reference to Calvary's cross. And then, afterward, in the determinative counsel of God, after significant delay, then, it would be enacted in the full. You see, uh, John, as to his life, John, as to his sojourn, as to what was next, uh, John would be uh, beheaded. And uh, John was beheaded because uh, sinful men, namely Herod and his uh, immoral wife, uh, wanted John uh, to be beheaded, so men did it. Uh, uh, John was beheaded because Satan opposes everything uh, that is righteous. And so certainly uh, John's beheading uh, happened because of the uh, adversary of the soul's work behind the scenes. Satan did it. But of course, those of you that are taught of God know that John was beheaded. And God did not say, oops, 
I didn't think about that. No, God has thought about everything. And John's beheading was a part of the sovereign will of God for John just as surely as it was the sovereign will of God for God the Son to become man and to die a physical death on the cross in substitution for our sins. John would be beheaded. Then Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of us wicked ones. God's wrath would be poured out upon his blessed head, the head of the Lord Jesus, on our behalf. Then Jesus would ascend to oversee years and years of further delayed judgment an opportunity for personal salvation now to be registered over 2,000 years. We must, like John, still be patient. For God is long-suffering. We can say with confidence today that today is yet another day of salvation. But we must also say you do not want to bet there'll be another one. A lot of bets going on today. You don't want to make this one. Don't think that there will be another day of salvation another opportunity of delay in judgment and punishment upon sinners for God's will and word is absolutely clear telling us that the wrath of God is indeed even now revealed against all unrighteousness and that the great day of God's wrath will come. Thirdly, this morning, note how Jesus answered John's question. How Jesus answers the question that he dare not answer his true servant directly. There are times when you cannot answer a person directly if you really love them and care about them. Look at Jesus' disclosure in, disclosure in verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said unto them, two servants, go and show John. Again, those things which ye do hear and see, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel, the good news, preached to them. The Lord brings evidence to bear of his continuing work under the quote of a messianic passage of scripture that John the baptizer knew very well, namely Isaiah 29, 18, and 19 are brought to bear for John's comfort. Isaiah 29, 18, and 19 are brought to bear for John's confirmation that Jesus is the one of promise and prophecy. 
Jesus helped John. How? Jesus helped John. How? Jesus helped John. How? He helped John by connecting John's questions to the word of written God. The word of God in his hands and in his heart. John, as a sojourner, coming very close to the end of his sojourn while in Herod's prison at Macarius, would need to rest in the promise of Scripture until all things were fulfilled. Me too. You too. God does not answer us by putting unusually shaped clouds in the sky. so that with a vivid imagination we can conjure up something that would satisfy our longing soul. God answers us by his word. And that's one of the reasons why it's so good that you actually came today. Because by coming and participating, you are submitting yourself to the word of God being presented. And the spirit of God can take the word of God and hone your life from its errors. And they be many. How do I know that? Because my errors are many. I need God's honing. I need God's work in my life today. I need the word of God to cause me to understand the lay of the land and cause me to find comfort in Jesus Christ. And apart from that, I got nothing for you. You got nothing for me. Finally this morning, see with me the directive of Jesus in verse 6. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be scandalized, is the Greek word, scandalia, comes into English as scandalized. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be scandalized in me, offended in me. When God's servants have good questions. What about my family? What about the future? What about uh, this? What about that? They must learn to rest in the plain truth of Scripture revealed, knowing that, listen, knowing that, listen, knowing that all God's things are not revealed. Even now, all God's things are not revealed. Jesus proclaimed that the person who does not feel scandalized by him because of things yet concealed is truly blessed. John was in danger of feeling scandalized and being offended at the one that he loved because he didn't understand how all the pieces come together. Listen, I don't understand how all the pieces come together. And neither do you. And that doesn't take one thing away from the word of God upon which we rest our weary souls. Trust the Lord. Trust his word. 
He will not fail. He will not disappoint in the end. In the meantime, you and I don't have all the facts. We don't have all the details. We don't have all the schedules. We don't have an advanced calendar. Only in the most general of terms. Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29a. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us forever. Only God withholds for good and for glory. There is absolutely no scandal, no reason for offense in Jesus Christ our Lord. His name is perfectly wonderful now and forever. Wow. Father, help us this morning to apply, to appropriate, to bring into our lives and to think about our own circumstances and conditions that may well give us doubt. Help us to turn to Christ, to present before your throne our questions, but to be careful to take our answers from that which is written in the word of God to bring confidence and boldness and rest of soul in such a time as this. Bless then your people as they think on these things and help us to be helpful to others for there is no lack of wonderment even among thy people here in all places. Focus our hearts and minds upon our Savior. Cause us to rest in him, the living word, by the truth of the written word. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. 118, if you need the words, his name is wonderful.